not learn it be, nor boast of worldly fame. They have all received their Pentecost, baptized in Jesus' name, and they're telling now, both far and wide, His power is yet the same. I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. Nothing that this world can offer that even comes close to that. To be one of them. One of them who? That all we partake of his sufferings. There's a reproach that goes with it. But the glory that awaits to be revealed is so far beyond anything that we could imagine down here. So we're glad to be one of them. And it's because he chose us. He had a purpose, a plan for us. We're one of his we're a part of his wonderful plan of redemption. Well, we'll let you be seated. You appreciate your musicians? You notice how they changed the key and everybody just fit right in there and found that key? You realize you did the same thing when you were singing? Every one of you changed the key and it just came natural. So you're all very gifted musicians, so we're thankful for that. <laughs> I was uh, talking with Brother Alan Dole in there. You know how Brother Ram talks about that minister that uh, the one morning he was so much longer than all the other mornings because he got a button instead of the lifesaver. Well, this is the first time that I've had a two-water bottle sermon permission. <laughs> Alan says, he says, you know, you've been worried about how long we're going to notice you. You just about finished that bottle on Friday night. He says, so I've given you two bottles tonight. So I've been given permission to go a little bit later. So if you get tired, you fall asleep, it's Brother Alan's fault. And Brother Ed was there, and he did not say anything to contradict it. So he's an accomplice. But I do apologize for being longer than I had anticipated. Yet, I do believe that the subject that we're talking about is a crucial one. I believe it's an end time crucial one. We see that this is where the devil has uh, focused so much of his efforts, his attacks in this day. And so we realize that this is where we got, we got to meet the enemy where he's at, but we meet him with the word of God and, and what God has given to us. So we're thankful that for the word that has prepared us and it's our weapon. The word is our sword. And, uh, you know, we, as we started off, we need to know who we are. We need to recognize our position in Christ, both in the spiritual relationship, when we're talking about the church in Christ, but even in the marriage, because those are two parallel pictures. In everything that we look at, you can see the same principles, the same truths in both realms. And uh, so we're thankful for that. And as I've said, the better I can see my relationship with my wife and, or as a parent with my children, it helps me to have a better and a closer relationship with God. But it works the other way. The closer I get to God and I can see how it all works there, it helps me to be a better husband and father on this realm. So God has worked it out just so perfectly. Well, we're going to start. I did want to say this as well. You brothers, if you think you're relaxed tonight because 
You got your toes stepped on this morning? It was focused on you? No, you're just as much the focal point tonight. Because we are the bride of Christ. So we too are everything that is is, uh, submitted or said about the woman is about every one of us because we are the bride of Christ. We are to submit to him. We are everything that the wife is is being told about her role, we're a part of that too in, in the body of Christ. So so we're still included. So if you were gonna kind of sit back and, and 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 maybe relax a little bit as as we spoke to the women about their role, you're included. I'm included. And I just thought I should make sure that we're aware of that. So we're gonna read from Genesis two eighteen tonight and also from First Corinthians eleven and let's stand as we Show our respect to God's word. Again, familiar scriptures. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him, suitable, appropriate for him. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7 to 10. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, For as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this caused out the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Let's again just ask God to come and bless his word to us tonight. Heavenly Father, we are dependent upon you. Lord, though we could read these words, and even though we could comprehend them with an intellectual understanding, unless your Holy Spirit quickens them to us, there's no life in it. But Father, your word has the life, and you've given the Spirit to quicken and to make that life to come forth and to bring forth your fruit in our lives. That is our desire. We want our hearts to be a good betting ground for the word to fall into tonight. And Lord, as we look at the role of the woman, we realize that we are looking at the role of the bride in her relationship to you. So that affects every one of us, Lord. And we're thankful that we are one of them, one of your chosen ones, one that you came to die, one of your elect. So we come knowing that you have something for each one of us. You know our, our condition, our situation, and you have something to meet the needs that we have. So, Father, I commit this to you. Just anoint my lips, Father, that they would be used of you for what your purpose is. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The first thing that we saw there, and again, it's a pretty basic, and it starts off very, very simple, straightforward, basic realities here. But the woman was made for the man. Okay? Man was lonely. It wasn't good for him to be alone, so God made him a helpmate, made him a wife. In the message, show us the father it'll satisfy. He says, um, he's praying over the handkerchiefs, the prayer clause. He says, maybe some of them is for homes that are fixing to break up. Satan separating mother and daddy. He says, oh God, come to them quickly. Put your arms around them, father, and let them know that in the Garden of Eden you made a helpmate for a man. Husband and wife become one. And I thought, here's a situation where he's concerned, and I, I believe that supernaturally he was aware of where some of these prayer clauses would go. And he's praying for homes that were in a crisis. And what does he say? Let them know that 
the woman was made for man and that there was a husband and wife created at the beginning. I thought, now, I probably wouldn't have come up with that in, in my prayer. I wouldn't have focused on that, but that's what Brother Branham did. So there is an important uh, purpose in knowing and, and recognizing having this revealed to us. In Mark of the Beast, Brother Branham said, again, when the woman gets out of the kitchen, she's out of her place. Whether she's preaching the gospel or whatever she's doing, she's out of her place. Man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. Man is not a byproduct of a woman, but the woman is a byproduct of the man. He said, I know that scorches. And I know even for sisters in the message, I'm sure that, that that sometimes can just, because of the age we live in and the pressures that are all around us, the influences and so forth, that, that it's easy where that can start to kind of uh, maybe wear on us a little bit. But he says, I know that scorches, but it's a gospel pill that'll open up your spiritual digesting tract and let the Holy Ghost sweep through and make you a different person if you'll believe it. So this whole truth of reality that woman was made for man is probably more important than what we've ever really recognized. We all know that. That was not a new fact that I just made you aware of. But perhaps there's an importance to it that we've not really comprehended or, or, or thought about before. And so I want to put that before you. This is something, and that'll take the Holy Spirit to quicken it to you. But I do believe that what it is is that when you as a sister are, are struggling to, 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 to battle all of these pressures that would try to keep you from being what God has called you to be and ordained you to be, and trust me, the devil's unloading all he's got against you. This age is the hardest age ever for a man or a woman to be in their proper roles. But if we have that revelation of who we are in Christ, who we are in the marriage, what our purpose is, what God is expecting for us, what he will help us to be, it will help us to really fulfill that. And that's exactly so. If you can realize, I was made for my husband. Oh, the world looked at that and said, oh, that's so demeaning. That's so, that's so humiliating. That's not politically correct. That, that's horrible. That's despicable. But as a believer, now, remember, we're talking the same pattern to all of us as the bride of Christ. We were made for him. God created man because he longed for fellowship. That is not some low um, role or, or a purpose or something to be despised. What an honor. But that's got to be real to us. And so you sisters, if that's real to you, I was made for my husband. Lord, here I am. This is your purpose. This is what you've called me to be in service for you. Because as you serve your husband, you serve the Lord. And when that's real to you, then all of the world's version of what this is and their criticisms and all these kind of things, it's just like water off a duck's back. It doesn't matter because you know who you are and it's part of God's plan. It will help you to be what God has brought you here to be. Now, we looked at that. We spoke a little bit about that on, on Friday night, about a help meet for him, or um, New International says, I'll make a helper suitable for him. So what is that, a helpmate? Because that's where the English word helpmate comes from. That kind of puts it all in one word that we're familiar with. But uh, sometimes we read this uh, King James there, and we don't really recognize what it's saying, but it, it is the same thought of a helpmate. In the latest in church age, the, the message, the tape, he says, a good woman is a jewel in a man's crown, said the wisest man on earth. 
a man ought to honor a good woman. He says, you men that's got good wives, you don't know how you ought to thank God for a good wife. And I'll let that soak in for just a moment. For if God could have given a man anything better for a helpmate, he'd have done it. But a woman is the best helpmate that God could give a man. It wasn't like, okay, let's see, a man needs to help me. Oh, let's see, A, B, C, okay, I think, no, this is the best. Amen. A wife is the best helpmate that a man could possibly have. That's why God chose it. Amen. That's an honor, isn't it, when you think of it that way? So what is that helpmate for? Well, I think sometimes we kind of sell it short, now we got to cook and clean and raise the kids. and well, See, we're looking at the natural. And that is a part of it for sure. But there's so much more that goes with that. Amen. In the message, Time of Decision, Brother Bram says this. The time had come for Abraham, the great patriarch and servant of God, to make a decision. And his, this decision was he has to decide just on who his son Isaac was going to have for a wife. There was a time come when he had to make the decision who would be his helpmate to carry on the plan of God. See, man is here because we are a part of the plan of God. We are here for a purpose. We are to fulfill God's plan. Now, if we look at the, the picture of the church, when Christ came, he came and he, he paid the price and he came here to redeem his own, the elect. But then... Because God couldn't do that in just one vessel, he took that virgin-born son, sinless son that had, had paid the price, he ascended to heaven and he sent his spirit down and it sent gifts to man. Amen. And we are here to carry on the plan of God. Now that's in the spiritual. So we as a man, I as a man, I am here to carry on the plan of God and God has given me a helpmate to help me to carry on the plan of God. That's a reality. And the devil tries to make you think that your role is some kind of a second-rate, insignificant thing to, to be despised by the world. No, it's, it's crucial. It's essential. Now, in the message, again, Mark of the Beast, he's speaking again about woman. He says... She's not even a creation in God. She's a byproduct. After God made the whole creation, he took a piece off of man and made a woman. She wasn't even considered in the original creation, correctly. She become a helpmate to man. And through there, she's supposed to live for that. To live, to be that helpmate. He says, but today man has turned around and made her a God. See, they've, they've flipped it. But that's what you are to live for. But remember, it's to be a helpmate to him to carry out the purpose of God. And it's essential. If we didn't need a helpmate, God wouldn't have made one for us. So it's essential. I like this one. This is really one of the better quotes along these lines in the message, Possessing All Things. And he's talking about how that uh, the story of Abraham and how God had called him and so forth. God called him at the age of 75 to a life of service, and it also included his helpmate. And right here we could start. I believe that when God calls a man to service, 
If he's a married man and has a helpmate, he calls his wife with him because they too are one. If God calls a man to be a pastor, he calls his wife to be a pastor's wife. If he calls a man to be an evangelist, he calls his wife to be a helpmate for the evangelist. Whatever it is that God has called us, that there's whatever ministry that God would call a man to, he calls his wife with him. And I can assure you, and I'm sure Brother Ed and any other ministers would be able to back it up, we couldn't function properly without our wives. It's the reality. And as I said the other night, there's, there's many things that my wife will, will, will think of and be, you know, Brother Bam says that that feminine spirit is sometimes a lot more sensitive to certain things from the Lord. And she'll say, Paul, you know, so-and-so and this and that. And I say, oh, you're right. And so now I will do something that the pastor is supposed to do, but my wife was the one that brought it to my attention and reminded me of it, and she does it in a sweet way and, 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 and so forth. We're working as a team. I need that. And I've, I've told my church, I says, look, I get a lot of credit. This happened and this happened and this happened. If you only knew maybe what was behind the scenes, it was a team effort. It was a joint effort. We are one. And God made the best helpmate that he could when he gave man a wife. In the message, Perseverance. He says, all of us Christians feel that way about our wives. They're still our sweethearts. He says, I hope that never changes in my family, never changes in your family, that we can always feel that way about our wives. After all, they stand side by side with us to help us fight these battles, and we need them. Amen. Yes, we are in a battle. We read a quote this morning, that it's, or last night or this morning, how that it's, it's, it's the time that we're living, it's our purpose, that we must find our position and get ready for battle. Well, as a husband and wife, we both need to be in our positions because we fight this battle together. So even though you are in submission to your husband and he's your ruler and all the things, we fight this battle together. So don't lose sight of that. Because if you're just coasting along, just, you know, just kind of, well, I'm just in submission. No, no, you've got a place, a role to play. Amen. In the message, Do You Now Believe? Brother Rams says, uh, talking about his wife, Sister Mita, she's the one who stood between me and the door, helping the people, doing all that we can. He says, a preacher can hardly realize what a preacher's wife goes through. You know it, brother. I'm so glad God give us a helpmate, aren't you? Yes, sir. A man that's got a good loyal wife ought to be so true and loyal to her. And she that's got a good husband ought to be the same way. Look at the world today and how it is in chaos. One more quote from Painted Face Jezebel. He says, when you leave the church tonight, you say, you know, I kind of believe Brother Ram's right. Yeah, now that is the truth. But tomorrow you go right back into the office when you oughtn't to go. If your husband's sick, he says you need to do it. He's talking about women in the workplace. Shouldn't do it unless you need to. There's a place where it's needful. But sometimes, and especially in this world, they think, well, that's your, that's your career. That's your life. It's what are you without it? And they make you feel guilty if you don't have it. If you can be a, 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 a keeper at home, a homemaker, that's God's perfect will for you. But yet there's times when you've got to go out and work and so forth. But he says, 
If your husband's sick, you need to do it. But if it isn't, listen, sister dear, God made you for one place, the kitchen. When you get out of there, you're out of his will. Remember that. Woman was made to be a helpmate at the house. She never was made for office work, and it's caused more disgrace and divorces and things. So we know that the workplace out there has certainly been the fields, the grounds, where an awful lot of spiritual... um, destruction has taken place and we shouldn't take that lightly our prophet warned us of that there's things that he saw he warned us about television way back in the 50s he's just talking about the invasion of the usa and how hollywood was coming in and now we look back at those shows that were on television and everything well my goodness that's that's just that's vanilla it's just so plain and simple that's the good old stuff but he was warning us back then what it was about. Look where it's brought us today. And look what it's caused to happen in our society. So he was the watchman for the age. He was higher than any of us pastors are, are put on our watchtowers. And he saw things way off there that we can't see until we get really close to it. And now we're seeing some of the things that he warned us about many years ago. And so here he's talking about the danger of the workplace. If you need to be there, then you need to approach it correctly and asking for God's help and protection. It's got to be something where you and your husband are unified about it and so forth and and so on. But I'm not going to get into the details of that one. Now, keepers at home. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, it says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, and that means to be in their right mind, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. That's something that the older sisters are to teach the younger sisters. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, that puts that whole list on a pretty important level, doesn't it? In other words, if those things aren't in our lives, if those, if those aren't our testimony, if we don't love our husband, love our children, if we're not discreet, we're blaspheming the word of God. That's a strong accusation, a strong statement. But it's God's word, isn't it? So to be a keeper at home, let's look at that for just a moment. Brother Bam says many places in Life Story, he says, home is is not the house. It's the order of the house that makes the home. That's what makes home. And that's the sister, the wife, the mother's place is to help make the atmosphere in that home, the order and so forth. Noah the Naughty says, her place is a man's queen at home. And that's exactly your role there is as a queen. So to be a real homemaker... 1 Timothy 5.14 says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Proverbs 31 talks about who can find a virtuous woman. And then he goes on to say, she looketh well to the ways of her household. So there is your ministry largely is there the keeper of the home. And so forth. So Brother Bam speaks about this. How a woman's place is to make a home for a family. I know these things are, 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 are well known, and I'm not covering new ground or anything, but, but we need to focus on it because that is the heart of it right there. And it's laying a background here. In choosing of a bride, he says, For me, 
Remember when he told about that, that young couple up there on the hill in a big fancy house and he had this little poor couple down here in the boxcar? He says, for me, I'd take, I'd take not the pretty thing up on top of the hill. I'd take this character down here that is a real homemaker. She took a boxcar and she turned it into a home. They lived in that fancy mansion and it was not a home. It was just a dwelling place where they fought. Somebody that loved me and stayed with me, somebody that tried to make a home without bleeding you for everything, for fineries, and somebody that was with you, part of you. You know, and I've, I've encouraged the young people in, in, in our group over the years. I says, you know what? It's good if you don't have everything at the beginning. It's good that you have to maybe struggle a little bit together. That will bring you together. But today, it seems like the world thinks you got to start off kind of on the same level as your parents did and then build from there. No, that's, that's really not the good thing. Now, sometimes that happens. And if that was you, I'm not going to begrudge that. But I'm just saying there's a principle here. I think there's some good that comes from it. Somebody can start with a boxcar and turn it into a home. If that's your lot, I'll tell you what, you'll never regret it because God will bless that and you'll grow from there and there'll be a foundation that you'll face hard things in the years to come that you'll be ready for and equipped because of what you've already come through and you've seen God's grace to help you in those, in, in those kind of situations. In the message ashamed of him, he's talking here about young men, but a Christian, he looks for character in a woman because he's planning a future home with that woman. He plans, he gets a homemaker. Yeah. Now, we're not focusing so much on the courtship and dating, but we need to plan, look, and pray, Brother Ram said. How do you plan? With what the Word of God says. So you plan for a homemaker. And then you look for someone that meets God's description. And you pray that God will give you the right one, that he'll open your eyes and to, that you'll see it and so forth. And, but it's, it's an important thing that we choose someone that's going to be a homemaker. And I said then Christ, according to his word here, tells us what our future home will be. So there it is for us. Now, in invasion of the USA, he says they have took our women and stripped them out yonder in the offices and the driving the taxi cabs and up and down the street where they ought to be at the home behind the stove cooking, fixing the dinners. What is it? It's the devil. The invasion's on. See, we've grown up in this. This was just something particularly after the World War where society really started, or actually probably during the World War, where the woman had to go to work so that the men could go fight overseas. And you can see how the devil used that situation to really come and attack the family. And so you and I, most of us, we weren't alive back then. And so this is just kind of the normal for us. We don't even realize how far it has drifted from God's provided way or his perfect plan for us but that's reality i'm thankful for the word that it can alert us to these things but the invasion's on satan has been invading this country this world and coming into the homes with these things he says um in the flashing red light of its coming he says the coming of christ is flashing its sign look at them it may not be very popular, but it's the truth. It's what God said, and here we are. Women don't want to stay home. They don't want to take care of their families. And that is so true today, isn't it? The news media, the, the entertainment, everything is, is pounding a message home. 
And it, it makes the woman feel like you're not complete if you don't have your own career, or your own business, or this or that and so forth. And it's so demeaning. I mean, uh, to be a homemaker, to be a helpmate, to be just, oh my, and, and they despise that. The invasion is on. It's a flashing red light of the coming of the Lord. In just one more time, Brother Bram says some more along these lines. He's been talking here about Samson, how he was willing. He says, you must be ready to die to the enemy that's got this victory over you. This is after he'd fallen, was there blinded there in captivity. He says, you've got to be ready to die to the enemy that's got this victory over you. You must be willing to surrender your own ideas. He says, wonder if you women are willing to let your hair grow out. Wonder if you men have got enough courage to tell her that. You're supposed to be the head of the house. She's the next. She turns you. And that's not what it's supposed to be, but that's, that's our view of it. And a lot of times we kind of say that humorously, but, but that's not the way it should be. He goes on. He says, she ought to be in the kitchen. You think you'd ever be able to get her back to that again? No, sir. She'll never do it unless she gets saved then she'll do it. And that's what we have here is we have born again daughters of God and you have chosen to do that because that's the spirit that's in you. And we want to honor that tonight. We want to thank God for that because that's not something that, that just a woman on her own could do in this age. It's got to be those that have been born again that can truly do that. So he goes on. He says, you won't have to tell her nothing about it. She'll find her place. The Holy Ghost will lead her to her place. But to say, the Holy Ghost is leading me. He says, to that, contrary to the word, he says, don't call that the Holy Ghost. And he goes on, he says, are you willing to pay the price? And there is a price. And we don't want to sugarcoat it. We don't want to paint a picture of how a Sunday school picnic everything is and flowers and roses and fun. and you No, know, there's a price to be paid. But the prize at the end of the road is far, far greater than, than it won't even be. You won't even remember the price. Childbirth is not pleasant from what I've been told. I believe my wife. But you know what? When you've got those children and you're enjoying their fellowship, you don't even, you don't think about that. You don't remember that time. All you, you're just enjoying the blessings of God even though it came through a hard time. And that's the way it is with so many things of God, isn't it? In thirsting for life, and here he's going to speak to both the husband and the wife. He says, now if a man is sick and his wife, if he can't work, I don't blame his wife, got to make a living, that's right. But if she's just out working to have a little extra money, you'd better keep her away from that scalawag bunch that she's working with out there. Her place is home. Here, she's supposed to be at home. And mister, you might call yourself ever so good, but if you've got lodges and other things that calls you away from her at night, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Now we have cell phones and laptops that call us away from, oh, we're physically at home, but we're not at home. I don't know if any toes got stepped on, but... They do around our place. That's part of the invasion. Satan's invading the homes, and that's one of the ways he gets in there. So if you've got lodges, things to keep you away from home. Your wife is to be the keeper at home for what? For you to come and be a part of that home with her. She's your queen. 
We want a homemaker. Well, we need to be there as much as we can. He says, if you've got lodges and other things that calls you away from her at night, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. God gave you a home for cherish and comfort and things like that. And it's a shame to see the way man does their wives and wives do man. The womanhood and fatherhood of the nation is torn to pieces. He says, it's a sin and a disgrace. He said, Jesus said it would be that way. He says, but it's a sin and a disgrace. One last quote along these lines, a message influence. He says, so be what you are and be a good one and fulfill your purpose so others can see you. If you're a housewife, be a real one. If you're a husband, be a genuine. That says it so simply. Find our place and then with a cheerful, willing heart, say, Lord, here I am. Help me. And take that first step and walk in the light of God. And as you take the steps, that light will shine further. What else is, 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 is God's will and desire for us? Part of being the homemaker and, and, and so forth at home is raising children. And Titus says that they may teach the young women to be sober, love their husbands, to love their children. I've always wondered about that. They have to be taught to love their children. I can almost see for us men, because you have this newborn baby, and the wife says, oh, isn't she so lovely? And you're, yeah, I guess. I find that it takes a little while for the man to really warm up to that child. Now it's like, oh. Now, there's a love that's there, but there's also something that's... But the wife, the, the, the mother, it's to me, but the Bible says they need to be taught to love their children. So I think that there's probably a proper way of loving that is not something that just comes natural to us in... Uh, but as a Christian, it'll be part of who we are. That's that Christ-like character and, and the Spirit of God in us to have that correct love. But Brother Bram says, a woman's place is at home with her children... Spiritual adoption, he says, uh, how I want him to say it was well done. Not by the skin of my teeth, but it was well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord, for you did well with what you had to do. Maybe you're a housewife. If you are, God made you a teacher of your children. Do a good job out of it. Regardless of what you have to do, do it well. And so we want to just encourage you and, and to compliment you because I, I'm amazed. And it's, it's, it's harder to be a good mother, a good homemaker in this age than it ever has. There's more things coming against you. There's more distractions. There's more pulls and, and pressures and all these different things. And through it all, God's got children, daughters of God, that are doing a good job of it. And so we're thankful for that. And yet we always... There's something more that we can have. We can, we can keep moving up. God has something greater, more for us, if we'll just keep moving in with him. Now, the woman's taking our first little bit of the first bottle here. The woman's ministry is primarily serving in the home. We've been talking about that. So Brother Branham's speaking about this in Look Away to Jesus, speaking about his wife, Mita. She's always sent my clothes to the cleaners and washed my shirts and had everything ready to go in the meeting, and then she wonders how she can serve God. He says, you women, as you serve your husband, you serve God, of course. 
Now we can see, well, of course, Brother Branham being the prophet and Sister Mita washing his clothes and getting things ready for him, of course that was serving God. But us, we're just, uh, no, you're a son and daughter of God. God has called each of you to a purpose. He's called you to help your husband fulfill his purpose in Christ. So every one of you, as you serve your husband, you are doing part of your purpose to fulfill what God has called you to do. In the message he was to pass this way, he says, a good praying wife or mother can do more for the kingdom of God on her knees at home than sometimes the preacher can do on the platform. I call that one a refrigerator quote. You write it out, type it out, and you put it on your refrigerator so you can see it frequently. The role that God has put you in is not a minor role. It's a crucial role. And he says, in this case, a good praying mother can maybe do more than a preacher at the platform. That's a good, strong statement. Adoption or placing, he says, you might not be nothing but a housewife. Well, you say, Brother Brandon, I've never done a thing in my life. I'm not a preacher. Well, maybe God brought you here to raise a family of children. Out of that family of children may come another family of children that'll be a preacher that'll send a million souls to Christ. You had to be here. You're here for a purpose. Did you know that? Here he's talking about a grandmother. Might not even be one of your children. It might be one of your children's children. But you had to be there. I was talking with Brother Ed the other day. Does anybody know why? And you can't answer this because we talked about this. Does anybody know why God chose Abraham? Bonus points if you know. He knew that he would teach his children what God gave to him, Abraham would teach his children. That's why he chose him. The Bible talks about it. Brother Bam speaks about it a number of places. And he goes on, he says, and his children's children. So as grandparents, we still have a part in God's plan. It's important for us to be teaching and nurturing our children and so forth. And so in this case, he says that it might not be out of your, your children, it'll be another family of children from there, a preacher. He says, but you had to be here. So even as grandparents, we have a purpose in Christ. In the message influence, he says, if God blesses you, you stay in the category that God has called you in. If it's a housewife, remain a housewife. If it's in business, remain in that business, reflecting God. And whatever God has called you to, let it be that. Because he wants you to be a real housewife, to reflect your influence on another person that would want to be a good housewife. If you're a good businessman, let your life be so to reflect Jesus Christ in your business with honesty and integrity and things, with things that really mean something. Because somebody is watching your life. You're influencing somebody. God has to have a real housewife. So you have an opportunity to be a good influence on others that have been called to be a housewife. Because when there they see in you Christ, no matter what the rest of the world's got to do, that is not one thing to do with you or I. We are responsible to God for our life and for our experience with Christ. Now, that's your primary ministry is in the home, serving your husband, being a homemaker, a keeper of the home, and those kind of things. But there is also a place for ministering outside the home. And that might be here at church. It could be a musician's position. 
Could be singing a special. That's a ministry. And that's not in your home. But we don't necessarily think of it that way, but that's true. But Brother Brown speaks about that. He's asked the questions, 57, he says, do you think it's right for women to do personal work outside the church? He says, certainly I do. Yes, sir, we're all workers together. Women have their places, and certainly they do. Just do all the personal work you can do, and God will bless you for it. The key there is can do. Don't neglect your primary purpose. Don't fall short on that because I'm so busy over here, I just didn't have time to, to do what my main thing is. You make sure that that main thing, your priorities are right. And when you've done that and you've got extra time and there's something else, if there's something burning in your heart, God bless you then. But it's also something that you work with your husband to make sure that you're unified on that. In Corinthians' book of correction, he says, He's talking about, oh, thank God I'm not an idolater. He says, well, wait just a minute. Let's examine it by the word. He says, you just have to be idle, doing nothing. Go to church, that's all right. Go back home, do nothing about it. Brother, a real born-again man or woman can't stand still. There's something in them. They've got to testify. They've got to do something. And that's the reality. I remember when I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up as a pastor's son, church librarian, played uh, an instrument in the orchestra and all these things. But I'll tell you what, and I knew <laughs> to sit out there while the preacher was preaching or the tape was playing, and my mind was wandering on a thousand different things, but I had to look like I was involved. So I mastered that. I'll tell you what, when I gave my heart to the Lord and God gave me his Holy Spirit, there was something in me, a hungering and a thirsting and a passion for God's word and to talk about him. I'll never forget, I was there working, I worked at U-Haul as a mechanic at that time. And I was, I mean, I didn't want to, as a preacher's kid, you had to, you know, we'd have visiting ministers staying with us in a home and they would talk to you about the Lord and you'd kind of, just as quick as you can, uh-huh, okay, I got to go and away you'd go. I wasn't comfortable talking about the things of the Lord, not to, to somebody like that. And I remember the, the Monday after that weekend, it was a camp meeting where I gave my heart to the Lord and God changed me. And I remember that next Monday, there I was at work. I was standing on a 24-foot TH U-Haul truck. I was on a, a bumper stand. I had a 5-8-inch box in or combination wrench. I mean, I remember it vividly. I was tightening the steering box, and a friend of mine from church was working on a trailer next to me, and I was busy, and, and I'd be waving this wrench around, I'd be preaching to him, and I'd go down there, and then I'd wave my wrench around, and there was customers walking back, and I remember all of a sudden, like, what am I doing? This is not me. Now, I wasn't saying, well, this is what I've got to do. It was something that was just bubbling up inside me. I couldn't help myself. And that's the reality. And so... There's going to be something. God's got something for you to do, but that desire to do it's going to be there. Now we just need to channel it to find God's will. But we have opportunities that we can testify we should do that. He goes on talking about that. He says, God commissioning Moses, the prophet, he says, if you're not a preacher, testify. Do something somewhere. Don't stand still. If you're washing the dishes, he says, why testify to the neighbor? Get out, pass tracks, do something. Don't stand still. What is in your hand? Get going, doing something, and whatever it is in your hand, use it. 
Will I find faith when I return? He says, go out in summer, you women even, in your neighborhood. Go to the hospitals, pray for the sick, believe it, exercise your faith, and do something for God's children quickly before Jesus comes. So there's a place for that, but don't forget, it doesn't take the place, and it better not be at the expense of your primary purpose. And it needs to be in harmony with your husband's agreement and direction. In the message, Thy House, he says, if you're a housewife or whatever you are, a teenager, let's do something. You know that. And, and, and live a life that makes the people say, well, that's a Christian going there. That's a Christian. That's the heart of it right there, isn't it? Okay, now we, we come to uh, another aspect of the woman's role. And that's found in Genesis 3, verse 16. And this is a little bit maybe something that we don't think about. Might be a little bit new. This is where he's, he's just cursed the serpent. Onto its belly it went. It changed from an upright creature, the closest thing to man, to the snake that we know today. And so now he says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. And we read over that, and we continue on, and we don't have a clue what we just read. If you're like me. Those are not words that we use. That's King James English. Unless we stop and try to look it up and see what the concordance says. I mean, it's just something. Those are just words that we've read. Am I right? What does it mean that thy desire shall be thy husband? Well, in the Lamza Bible, which Brother Ram had great respect for, he says, you shall be dependent on your husband, and he shall rule over you. Oh, okay, now I can relate to that. The woman is, because of, the, of her sin there at the fall, she is to be dependent on her husband, and he will rule over her. So what is it to be dependent? Well, there's some things that the Bible speaks about that are pretty amazing as far as the woman literally being dependent on her husband. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. He says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. What does it mean that the husband's the Savior of the body? Well, Brother Bram goes in and he goes back to the Old Testament. And you remember when a, when a covenant was, was in effect, there was a token of that covenant. And without the token being their property, the covenant was not in effect. And of course, we know it takes blood to, to make a covenant and so forth. But here in the message, the token, he says, the token must be displayed. So they were under the covenant there, the Passover. They had to display the token, the blood on the door, or that covenant was not in effect for that household. So he says the token must be displayed. A Jew could furnish, could furnish the evidence that he was in the covenant. But the token wasn't there. The covenant was without any effect. Now, the covenant that God made with the Jew, he made that unconditional covenant with Abraham. What was the token of that covenant? Circumcision. Brother Graham says, for without the circumcision, without the token, he says, you're not even in the token. The whole thing works together. Only problem with that is only the male could be circumcised. Well, then what about the women? God's made a token, and you had to be circumcised to be in that token or to be in that covenant. 
it looks like the women got left out. Brother Brown speaks about this in the message he swore by himself. He says, only the males could be circumcised. Only the males was the only ones that was in the covenant. And a woman being married was brought in. Now we see how the husband is the savior of the body. How the woman is dependent on her husband. He's your ruler, but you're also dependent on him. Because you, you, in, in the Old Testament, you couldn't even be in the covenant unless you were married and your husband was in the covenant. Now, of course, we look to our spiritual example. We are in Christ. He paid the price. He died. We were in him when he died. We rose with him. That's the only way we can get. We have to be in him. Otherwise, his provision for us is of no effect. We got to be in him. If we're in him, then all that he is, we are a part of that. In the message called out, he says, speaking here of Sarah. Now remember, when, when, the, when the Lord with those two angels came, came down into flesh, and they met Abraham out there on the plains of Mamre, and he discerned Sarah's heart behind him and so forth. And remember, she laughed in her heart. Brother Bram says God should have destroyed her, could have destroyed her because of her disrespect. But why couldn't he do it? Because she was in Abraham. He was the savior of his body. She was in the covenant because she was under his headship. So Brother Bram says, but in them days, the circumcision of the man brought the woman in also. For only the circumcision could be recognized before God. And the female could not be circumcised. Therefore, the husband was the atonement for her because they are one. Abraham's faith held Sarah at that time. That's quite a strong reality, isn't it? I never heard that until I heard Brother Adam say that. That's not something that you hear spoken out there in, in other circles. This is quite striking. Okay? Now, we're going to go one more quote here, and then we're going to kind of leave that, and we're going to come back to it. In Jehovah Jireh, it says, Abraham held her because the man and woman are one. The woman could not be saved in the Old Testament only by the man because it was circumcision and she had to be joined to her husband in order to receive it. But in the last days, God's poured out his spirit and the women are circumcised in the heart just like the men. So, so you, oh, you think, oh, great, wonderful. I don't have to be in my husband. It's not so important. No, no. It's still the same today, we're going to find out. Remember, there's that three-way relationship. If you want to have that proper, you've, everything's got to be, you've got to be one with your husband. Otherwise, your relationship with God's going to be broken. But yes, you have a direct relationship with God now. That was the natural typing what God would do here in the spiritual. But there's a principle there that we need to look at because that principle is still in effect today. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2 is another puzzling scripture, verses 12 to 15. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. What's Bearing a child got to do with being saved. And of course, the Catholic Church has gone off into a ditch with it and different things, but that's a very strange 
Scripture, isn't it? If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, being in their right mind. All right? So Brother Bams asked about this, and I'm glad because I wouldn't really understand what was going on here without this message to, to bring light to it. So he's asked the question, 59, he says, explain a wife being saved by bearing a child. He says, the wife isn't saved by bearing a child. Okay, so there's something else going on here. It's not just the, the literal fact of bringing a child into this earth. That's got nothing to do in and of itself to, to the salvation of anybody. And so then he reads that scripture that we just read there in Timothy, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if, he says, now he's not talking to the woman of the world having babies. If she continues in faith, see, if she continues, she's already, that's the woman he's talking about, the woman that's already saved, see, and charity and holiness and all sobriety. Not by having a baby makes her saved, but because she's raising children, doing her duty. She has found her place, and she is fulfilling her place and purpose in Christ. If you will do that, you'll be saved. Why? Because you're doing well, and that's really for all of us. We want to be found faithful on that day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I bid you to do. You did what I purposed you to do. You surrendered to me and let me work through you the way that I desired to. And for a woman that has to do with, once again, being in subjection to your husband, dependent on your husband, he's your ruler, all those things. If you'll be faithful to that, you'll be saved because that's God's purpose for you. But you've got to be born again yourself. But when you're born again, then you've got to be faithful in this direction that he's given you. All right? In Why Are We Not a Denomination? He ties together that Old Testament principle about how that a woman couldn't be in the circumcision and this scripture in Timothy where he's talking about saved by childbearing. He ties those two together. He says, now a woman could not be in that covenant, only a married woman. Find out, couldn't circumcise a female, so it had to come in. Her and her husband are one. They're not no more two, they're one. How many knows that? The scripture says so. So her being married, then she become one. And down here, look, over here in Timothy said the same thing. So now, notwithstanding, she'll be saved in childbearing if she continues in faith and holiness with all sobriety. So there's a New Testament aspect to that Old Testament truth. It's not just an Old Testament law that, that's, that's done away with, like so many people think. No, there was a principle there that God established in the Old Testament, and it's fulfilled and continues on here in the New Testament. Now the woman can and must be born again and have her own relationship with Christ to be circumcised in the spirit the same way a man is. But then both the man and woman need to find their place in Christ and be faithful and let God work through you and fulfill his purpose. What is the Holy Ghost? He says, circumcision could only be in the male. But if the woman was married to a man... I want you to notice that if she was married, because um, there are sisters that are not married and so forth, and, and God's got provision. But if you're married, he says, she was part of him. She was circumcised with him. You remember in, in Timothy where it said, notwithstanding, she should be saved in childbearing and so forth. So Brother Bram ties that several places, those two, the Old Testament and the scriptures in Timothy together. Then we can see the same principle at work there with Adam and Eve. Five time in church age, Brother Ben brings it out it's many places, but he says, Eve should have been burned along with the serpent for their awful deed. 
But Adam intervened, taking her quickly to himself so that she was saved. Adam was willing to enter into that act and bear the consequences that he would have to pay. That day you'll die. But by doing that, he saved her because she is now a part of him and she could not. So she was dependent on him. And so we saw that. To me, there's, there's such an amazing, uh, amazing truth there that, that I marvel at how God does that. All right, the second part of Genesis 3.16, thy desire shall be thy husband and he shall rule over thee. We're not quite halfway. We're trying to keep things just a little bit. Uh, it's late in the evening, it's a third service and we want you to just to, to be fresh, to be with us here. So we, we've seen that when we were talking about the, the role of the man that he's to be the ruler. As Christ. Don't forget that. Without that, we've totally missed the boat. So the Bible speaks about that. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Ephesians 5.22-24, to 24, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. We're going to find out as unto the Lord. But it says here in everything. And then verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So in the message, Revelations chapter 4, part 3, that's the throne of mercy and judgment, He's quoting it. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. He says, because he is your Lord. How many knows that, you women? That's exactly right. The Bible said so at the beginning. It's still the same way. So that hasn't changed. You know, when, when God came, when Jesus came, how many knows that we've passed from law to grace? But we can have a wrong understanding of that. Oh, so the Old Testament's just, that's just out of the picture. It's done away with. Jesus said, think not that I've come away to, to come to do away with the law. Because I've come to fulfill it. Not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass till all be fulfilled. And so the, the, the precepts and the commandments of God that, were, that the law had written first on those tablets of stone and then on the parchment paper and so forth, put into the ark and all the different ways on the scrolls that they would read. God is still God and what's an abomination to him back then is still an abomination. Righteousness is still righteousness. But now the laws of God are written on the tablets of our heart. They haven't been annihilated or done away or canceled. They've been magnified. They are still God's word. They are expressing God and his characteristics. And so this whole thing about wives, submit yourselves unto husband, reverence your husband, as that's still in effect. We see the Old Testament pictures, and we can learn from that, but that pattern is pointing to something that is still part of God's provision. Until we leave this place and we are joint heirs together and there's no more Male or female, husband, wife, we're just joint heirs together. Until that time comes, the husband is the ruler and the wife is in submission 
and we're to reverence him as Lord and so forth. Now, this is a, a, a strong statement from the Thyatiran church age. He says, a woman is not meant to have an iron disposition. Now, this world will do everything it can to create that in you. You've got to be aware that that's the devil's goal, one of them. She is, according to the Holy Scriptures, to be submissive to the male. That is commanded of her. Woman who is truly female, all female will be of that disposition. Not a doormat. No real male makes a female a doormat. And I run into those men that are they're saying, well, yeah, I tell my wife she's got to do this because I'm the boss. I've had them say it that way. I'm the boss. She's got to do what I say. The Bible says that. Brother Branham says that. That's a little different translation that I've heard. That's not the way he said it. And so no real male will make a female a doormat. That's not a real male. He might be as macho as could be or as, as, as tough and rough and burly and everything else. That's not a real man. No real male makes a female a doormat. But she will want to be under authority and not rule over the male. So then we've got to do our part to help her to want to do what God word, God's word declares of her. We can either make it easier for her or more difficult. But a real woman that is correctly in her place will want to be in submission. Now I'm leading up to something here and I pray that the Lord will help me. Two more quotes before we get to it. Is your life worthy of the gospel? He says, I was preaching the other night somewhere about women to obey their husband. Obey? Yeah. That went out of the marriage ritual a long time ago. They ain't going to do that. No, sir. They live in America and they'll let you know so. They're not going to obey. But as long as you don't do it, don't never try to call yourself a Christian because you're not. Wow. Wow. See, I told you if you don't submit to me, you're not even a... Yeah, and you're not even a real man then. It's the truth, but God's word is given to us in love. And the purpose and motive behind it is to help and to nurture and to encourage and to correct in love. Not to condemn, not, to, not for a selfish motive, but that's quite a statement. As long as you don't submit to your husband, obey your husband, don't try to call yourself a Christian because you're not. You can't sugarcoat that. That's just the straight reality of it. Remember, we, we read there in Titus 2, where the older sisters would teach the young women to be sober, love their husbands, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's a lot that's at stake here. And I want to bring this down to a reality. I want this to be something that hits home. We are not just talking Ideas and principles and, and scriptural platitudes and the husband's this and the wife's that and on and on we go. And it's just religious words that we've heard before. I know these are not something new. We are in the midst of a real battle. And it's getting more real, more intense every day because the hour is getting later. I want to talk about, do you realize that, remember the story, let's start there, the story of, of when Ahab and Jehoshaphat were joined together and they were going to go back and they were going to, Ahab wanted to take back Ramoth Gilead. 
He asked Jehoshaphat to, to join with him. And Jehoshaphat said, well, let's, we should seek the Lord's will. Do you have any prophets? He brought up the 400 prophets. And what did they do? Well, the word says, yes, Ramoth Gilead has been given to you. It's, it's, it's part of your, of your territory. It's actually one of the cities of refuge. Wow, that's an important thing. It's not right that the Syrians have taken it. That belongs to Israel. It's, it's essential. It's part of God's provision for you. Of course, go up and take it. Jehoshaphat was just a little bit uncomfortable with that. He says, you have another one? Well, it's 400 to zero already. What more do you want? I just is it, well, yeah, there is one more, but I don't like him. I hate him. He's always, well, let's hear what he has to say. And they brought Micaiah forth. Now, Micaiah had the word of the Lord. And what did Micaiah, the vision that he had, the word that he had, he went and he compared it with the word that had already been spoken. Elijah. And I'm just going to put a, a plug in here right now. That's why we've got to stay with the tape teachings. Amen. Stay with what God has already brought and vindicated because he cannot go against that. He just cannot. He wouldn't be God if he does that. Back to our story here. So Micaiah checked it out and he saw, ah, oh, Elijah cursed Ahab, said the dogs would lick his blood and this and that. He says, so my vision fits with the word of God. Yes, that is belong to Israel, but it's not going to be Ahab's opportunity to be the recipient of it. It's not going to take place in Ahab's lifetime. So Brother Bram speaks about this. It's, it's a very important principle. He says, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead and take that land? Well, they spoke to the prophets. Remember, look how truth it looked. The prophet said, go up, the Lord's with you. Why? Where was they basing it on? They were basing it upon the fact that the land did belong to them. That's right. When Joshua divided the land, God gave Ramoth Gilead to Israel. And the enemy had pushed them back off the land and was occupying the land themselves. He said, now watch my Pentecostal brethren. See, that's right. The land belongs, but it can be taken by the enemy and held until things are made right. Now that's the Old Testament type pattern. And there's a current spiritual principle that that's pointing us to. There are promises that God has for every one of us. They are yours. They are mine rightfully. But something can happen where the devil has a legal right to come in and encroach on us. And he can stay there until things are made right. It does not change God's promise. It does not take away God's promise. It doesn't nullify it. But it cannot be put into operation. We can't possess it. We can't have the benefits of it under these conditions. Brother Bam says the devil has a legal right. Influence, he says, all promises of God are true, but they're on conditions. No matter how fundamentally right we are, we've got to approach it in the right way. Now, men can be fundamentally right and still not receive the blessings of God because it's approached in the wrong way. And he goes on and tells the story of Ahab and Joshua. He says, fundamentally they were right, but Ahab wasn't right himself. He had to get right with God before there'd be a chance of that promise being his. All right? So... In proving his word, 
In Genesis, God told Adam and Eve what would happen when they disbelieved his word. Satan led her to disbelieve it, Eve. For Satan himself never did believe it. He didn't believe it, so he led her. And he still does the same thing, teaches others the same, and they disbelieve it like she did. God fortified his people behind his word. That's your only defense. Not your denomination, not your father or your mother, not your church, not your pastor. Your only defense is the word of God. He says, but behind God's word, that's the place that the believer is protected, behind the word. When that little avenue was broken there with a little, wonder if it's right or not. See, she started, I wonder. You know what the devil is telling me? That sounded pretty feasible. He says, look, the way you were made, it was made for this purpose and all this and that, and it's, it's a wonderful thing, and aren't you to be fruitful and multiply? And he made a lot, and you know, the truth of his brother Ram said he was telling the truth as far as that went. When she did what he was, was beguiling her with, she brought forth life, but not the way that God intended, and there was consequences because of that and so forth, but it seemed so reasonable. He says, when that little avenue is broken there with that little wonder if it's right or not, reasoning come in and took the place of faith. They broke the bars. We know, we're talking here now about spiritual warfare. These legal rights that the devil have. Listen to these things. Ephesians 6 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is a very real battle. Now, you travel over to Africa, you travel even more so to India, and you'll see the raw reality of this spiritual warfare right there in the open. But you know what? I think Satan knows that that's probably not the best tactic. Remember when, when the, the persecution was on in the early church, and Satan came in there, and, and my, if you were a Christian, you were put to, the, to the, the Colosseum and up to the fed to the lions or face the gladiators and different things. He was going to scare them from, from being a Christian. All it did is it weeded out the make-believers. The real believers, they had something that nothing was going to change. And so the church actually flourished under that. The devil said, okay, we got, we got to come up with a different strategy here. And so he's been working on his strategy. He's come to this age, and he's made it easy living. Self-love, material things, all these pleasures and all these things. And that is far more effective than the threats and the danger that he put the early church through. But we are still facing that same spiritual battle. It's just that it's much more disguised. So deceitful it would deceive the very elect if it were possible. So Brother Bram says in the message, the contest, people don't believe in demons in this day. But the thing to do, in my opinion, is know your enemy. Know your enemy and train for the contest that you're going to have when you meet him because you're going to meet him. Okay? We know that. Demonology too, the religious realm. He says, you got to know what demons are and you got to know what truth and error is. And it's so close, you got to separate the thing. Now remember, it ain't going to be out there some way way over on this side like the Pharisees or something way back on that side. It's right up here in the door, right near it. He says, watch it. Invasion of the USA, he says, people don't realize that these devils are invading your homes. We're in the middle of the battle in a much greater way than what we comprehend. And I'm leading to something. Invasion of the USA says, them demon spirits 
come on Christians. Really? Uh huh. Remember that story he told of that woman who was, had that nervous breakdown. She'd been through prayer line after prayer line, just couldn't get free of it. And it was a friend of Mita's, and Mita got Brother Bam to have a, uh, to counsel with her. And so he just, oh, you need to make right. You committed adultery on your husband. You need to make, oh, I, 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 I repented of that with the Lord. He said, well, you got to make it right with your husband. I can't do that. He divorced me. He said, well, I can't help you until you make that right. He says, that devil's got a legal right to be there because you've got that unconfessed sin. You didn't sin against God. You sinned against your vow, against your husband. And so right now, he says, I can't do anything with that devil until you make that right. He's got a legal right to be there. And he was, he was, that devil was afflicting her and controlling her and just making her life miserable for years because that legal right had been there from that event all the way through. And then Brother Bram says, oh, and by the way, your husband has the same thing to confess. Oh, not my husband. Oh, yes. She went to talk to her husband, and that was true. They made things right with both one uh, together. They made things right. They came back. Brother Bram didn't have to pray over her, didn't lay hands on her, didn't cast the devil out. The legal right was gone. The devil was gone. Now, that's the reality of this battle, spiritual demonic battle that we are in. In the message, do you not believe he's talking about that story? He says, oh, my husband, he would leave me right now. So it would break up my home. What would happen to my little children and so forth? There's the devil with all those fears. <laughs> Don't do what the word says because what about this and what about this and what about this? And, and they all sound so logical and reasonable. They make sense to us in our mind, don't they? I said, look, sister, first clear yourself with God. God will take care of the rest of it. She said, I, I just can't do it, Brother Brandon. I said, well, of course, no, that's all I can do. I just done what God told me to do. There's your trouble. I said, they can anoint you with oil every five minutes through the day. For the rest of your life, it'll never do any good. I said, they might lay their hands on you and stomp and kick devils and say, get out of here, Satan. But you don't have to holler at him. He knows what faith is. He knows what your life is. So there's no need of you trying to bluff him. He'll stay right there and got a right to stay there. He knows what his rights is, what he can do and what he can't. Another place he goes on, he says, as long as he's got an unconfessed sin, something you ought to have done or ought not have done. Well, that brings it, what's iniquity when you know to do something and don't do it? That's a legal right for the devil to be there. He says, you could anoint with oil anything you wish to. He will not leave. That's right. He has a legal right to hold there. Anyway, he talks about he has a legal right of disobedience. And I want to tell of an experience that I've had. I was counseling with a couple a while back, and they were having some very intense troubles. And the woman just could not, would not submit to her husband. She had to be in control. Had to point out all of his areas where he was wrong and what he needed to do. And you try to counsel, we go back and forth, and, and finally, you know, she, she would agree to this and agree to that, but she just didn't have it in her to do it, it didn't seem like. One day we were having a session, and one of her friends was with her. We were counseling in my office, and, and I was trying to say, you need to let go. And that's what submission is, it's just letting go, 
Letting go of your priorities, letting go of your ideas, letting go of your opinions. You're submitting to your Lord's, whether it's your husband or whether it's the Lord Jesus. We're letting go of our ideas. We're dying to ourself. We are renewing our mind to his mind. That's what God wants of us. That's, this whole thing of submission is really the heart of what the Christian walk is. Repentance is submission. It's recognizing our wrong, expressing our, our, our remorse and our sorrow and asking for forgiveness, but it also means turning from our sin. It means to, to not only to turn from our sin, but to surrender. When we're fully surrendered to God, God will give you the Holy Ghost, he said. Fully surrendered, fully repented. We've got to, be, we've got to truly and fully let go. That's what God wants. So I've been counseling this, sister. You need to just, you've got to let go. Well, I, I'm, I'm trying, and this, that, and I'd go for it, and then she'd be right back into it. And one day we were counseling there. And I don't remember what it was. I says, see, sister, you need to let go. She says, I don't think I want to let go of that. I said, okay, now we've made some progress. We know exactly where the choke point is. We know what the issue is. Because as long as you're not willing to let go of that, you recognize that God wants you to let go of it. She says, yeah. I says, now you don't want to. I said, that's serious. I said, what you need to do now is you need to start just right where you're at. Say, Lord, I know, according to your word, this is something I should let go of. And Father, I do want to do what your word says, but there's something in me. I don't want to let go of that. I need your help. I want to be willing to do your will. I want to let go, but right now, I've got to be honest, Lord. I, I'm not ready to let go, but I want to. Help me to let go. I said, start where you're at and ask God to help you with that. I've been there. I had something I had to make right with somebody, and I knew that I knew it was wrong, but I didn't have that remorse in my heart. It would have just been an empty word saying, please forgive me. I did such and such. I shouldn't have done it. I didn't feel sorry. I says, God, I don't want to go to that person and say those words. I want to be, I need that, that remorse. I need that godly sorrow in my heart that I can really turn and repent of these sins. Two days later, I was under conviction. I went and I made that thing right. There wasn't, those weren't empty words. It was from my heart. I felt sorry and sick of, of what I'd done, and I made it right. I told the sister, that's what you've got to do. You've got to get that place. Admit where you're at and say, God, I'm here. I know I should be here, but there's something. I'm not willing to do that. But Lord, I want to be willing to be willing. You understand what I'm saying? It's start where you're at and be honest with God. He can't help you unless you're honest with him. If you're honest and open with him, he's, why is he working on you? Why is he calling you? Because you're his. He has something for you. He died for you already. Your sins are already forgiven, but we have to truly and thoroughly repent. Well, that was on a Friday, if I remember right. Sunday, came to church, and the Lord put things on my heart, and I've, I've used this even in talking with my church at times as an illustration that God works in his body. It's not just because I'm the pastor but I'm just a member of the body. But the Lord put on my heart, he says, you need to listen to the demonology series next as a church. So I announced to the church that morning, I said, I really feel in my heart God wants us to go through and listen to the demonology series. 
And he also spoke something very clear to me. He says, you need to go and warn that sister that she is in a very precarious position. That right now, because she has willfully chosen, I'm not willing to let that go, that if she plays around with that, she's opened up a gate for the devil like she has no idea. So that Sunday night, at the end of service, she was up there and crying and praying, and I said, Sister, I says, the Lord told me this. I've got to make sure you understand it. The, the, the whole game has changed. The whole situation has changed. It's far more serious than it was last week. Because of what came out, now you've got something that's got to be dealt with or there's consequences. Two days later, she had a full possession by the devil. I've seen it in India. I'm in Utah. That was not that sister. The vulgar, vile things that came out of her mouth and she was there and fighting and kicking and spitting and scratching and all the different things and, and just cursing all the, all the horrible things. My point in saying this is we're not playing games. Amen. This is a real battle that we're in. And here was something that she just was not ready to let go of as a wife to her husband. According to what God's word said, she says, I, I don't think I'm willing to let that go. The devil's got a legal right now. And he came in. And absolutely, she was shocked by it. Now, I, I, I witnessed that. I experienced that. It's a reality, and I thought, you know, I'm going to share that when I come here to Edmonton. We're talking about the role of the women. Sisters, you need to submit to your husband because that's what the Lord wants. And we can let that just be some religious phrase that is said and just kind of goes over the top. It's serious business. And the same thing goes for the men. If we choose, I'm not going to do what the Word says. I'm going to. It's the same thing for us. When we are not willing to do what God's word tells us to do, that's disobedience, willful disobedience. And we open up a gate where the devil has a legal right to come in and he will take that opportunity. And I think because of the lateness of the hour, we're going to see things like this. Remember how Brother Adam said that, that uh, what, what we see Hollywood doing in all their horror movies? So we're going to see that. Men's minds are going to go crazy, and they're going to see these ants as tall as trees and all you know, the different things. Things are going crazy out there. We're at the end. And so my purpose in this is to catch our attention, that the hour is late, this subject is serious business with God, and we cannot take it lightly. We need to search the scriptures, find our places, submit ourselves to God, to his word, and let him work through us to do what he's purposed us to do. Don't treat that lightly. Amen. I hope I didn't say anything and it was awkward or uncomfortable because that's not my purpose. To me, it's just the reality. I thought, oh, God, that hit home. And it was something that actually made a difference for our whole church and for me. To realize, ah, this warfare, this battle that we're in, it's a very real one. And we need to pull together. We need to, we need to know our enemy. We need to know our position. We've got to find our position and get ready for battle because we're there. Now, that devil might not take that kind of a full possession 
But he can come in there and he'll cause us to different things. That woman, was, she was in that nervous state for all those years. That's the way the devil got in and how he afflicted her. There's different ways that he will come in and, and, and afflict us, but that was the extreme. And it can even include that. All right. Let's move on now. We're talking about the woman submitting yourself to your husbands, but it says, as it is fit in the Lord. Now, this morning, we brought out how that if your husband tells you not to go to church or you can't read the Bible, he says, you don't have to listen to that because that's not according to the word. God is your head above your husband. But if it's not something where where it's a, a, a contradiction or a difference between what God says and what your husband says, you need to submit yourself to the husband as unto the Lord. All right. So we already talked about that this morning, so we can kind of move past this. But now, these same principles apply to every one of us as the bride of Christ, to our husband. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Brother Brown speaks about that. He says, the way you follow the person be sure who this person's following. Paul one time said, be followers of me as I follow M of Christ. In other words, just as I follow Christ, you follow me. Questions and answers. As Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ, you see, then you see I'm wrong, then get away from me. Brother Ram says, when the man gets away from the word, he says, you get away from the man. Because the word is truly our head. And whether we're a woman or a man, we have that relationship with God. But yet God has placed people in our lives in positions of leadership, headship, and for a purpose. We can't do without them, but make sure we do it correctly as God has said. Obey your husband as unto the Lord. We need to to follow our pastor as unto the Lord. And you don't just come to church and, and let him do your religion for you. You better be in the word and you better have a, a relationship and, and praying with God and stuff on your own in your home that you know that's listening to tapes and things, that you know that certain sound. So when somebody comes along and says, that doesn't sound quite right. Yeah, you better know that. Amen. And yet, remember how Brother Brown, I don't have the quotes with me, but it comes to my mind. This was an issue back in, in, in his day, in the, I think the late 50s, early 60s anyway, He says, you know, people say that the Holy Ghost has come and will teach us. He says, so we don't need anybody to teach us. The Holy Ghost is our teacher. He says, you need your brains baptized and not just your body. That's the phrase he uses. I wouldn't use that except he said it. I think, whoa, that's quite the statement. He says, why did God place teachers in the church? He says, yes, the Holy Ghost will use the teachers to teach. So it's the Holy Ghost through the teacher. But yet even through a teacher, it still takes the Holy Spirit directly to you to make it live, to reveal it to you. But there's a role and a purpose for that teacher, for your pastor, for your husband. I mean, all of those things, that's the body of Christ in operation. But it's got to be... It's got to be enlivened by the reality of a supernatural power that's using them. That's what it's got to be. So we're to be submission to our husband as unto the Lord, as he follows Christ. 
First Timothy 2.12. One more. Got just a couple more really important points that we want to make. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. This is one that I think the devil really um, uses efficiently, effectively, frequently. Brother Brown says in the Thyatiran church age, he says, now a dominating female is the greatest curse in the world. A real godly sister is the greatest thing that God could give a man. There's the two extremes. But he goes on. He says, Paul said, I suffer not a woman to teach or to usurp authority. From the Garden of Eden onward, woman has constantly and successfully tried to take control over the man. See, that's not her authority. Your husband shall rule over you. So when you try to take that position of authority, you're usurping. That means you're taking something that does not belong to you. It's not your position. It's not your right. That's not your place. And that's one where the devil, like I say, does, does a real job of getting sisters to fall for that and for the men to allow it. It's our job to, in a Christ-like manner, with patience, Say, honey, I, I need to talk to you about something. Look here. See what God's word says. And you bring the word and you talk about it together and you pray about it together and you're, you're leading her gently but firmly. But you've got to take the initiative and be a leader as Christ is. Remember that story? Now, there's, there's different ways that a woman can usurp authority. She can do it through physical force in some cases. It's not frequent, but that does happen. Through force of argument and just, just, just relentless and just finally wears down. And okay, okay, and he just kind of backs it. She's taking the authority because of that. She can nag. She's usurping authority. I want this, so I'm just going to just keep doing this until, until I get what I want. That's usurping authority. There's the cold shoulder. What's that all about? You're putting pressure because you're not happy with something and you want him to be aware of it. Early in our marriage, we went through something like that. I was at fault. I was doing something inconsiderate, and it made things difficult for my wife. And the first time I did it, she brought. I said, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't. I just. It was inconsiderate." Two weeks later, well, what it was was I was busy at work, and I get off at five, but I've only got 15 minutes more to finish this job. And then, you know, so then I'll just be home 15 minutes late. No big deal. And 45 minutes went by and I was still on the job. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've only got 15 minutes now. It's kind of like me preaching here. <laughs> See, it's part of my DNA. It's part of my makeup. <laughs> you pray for me. 
Well, now it is only 15 more minutes. Another half hour went by, and finally an hour and a half later, I'm home. And she'd made a special dinner that was ruined because it was delayed. Had I called her, she could have held things back. But she was planning the whole day and just making it something special. She had everything ready, and I came in there, and it was like, Hi, honey. Hi. What's wrong? Nothing. I'm not really that dumb. I knew there was something wrong. No, what's wrong? Nothing. And I had to coax it out of her. And then it came out, well, this and this and this. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I just, two or three weeks later, the same thing happened again. It's just, I'm, I'm, it's not that I wanted it to be that way. It's not that I didn't care about it, but I just get preoccupied and so forth, selfish. Not thinking of my wife and, and her circumstances. And that happened three or four times. And it got to the place where I'd come home and things, there was icicles in the room. And she wanted me to repent. And I needed to repent. But it was not her place to preach to me. She was usurping authority. That's not God's provided way. What she was saying was right, but she wasn't the one that should be saying it. And all of a sudden, that revelation hit me. And I had to, I said, honey, I said, that's not your place. Oh, you're just trying to get out of it. No, 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 no. I said, look, what you're doing, you're usurping authority. You're trying me, but you, we're not talking about my part. I will answer for you. If you're usurping authority and I don't deal with it, I'll answer for that. No matter what I do, you won't answer for me. But I will answer for you. That went on for several months. Several times a week. We'd talk about it and we never argued. But it just, there was just, it just wasn't what it needed to be. And I can remember one night we were just laying there in bed just talking. And literally we could feel the Holy Spirit come in the room. And she says, I see it. I see what you're saying. Oh, my. And she started crying. She says, yes, you're, I'm sorry. I just... And our marriage has never been the same since then. I still make mistakes, but she doesn't usurp that authority. I have to commend her for that. It's amazing. It's been a real blessing. But what I want to say is you can use tears, the cold shoulder, nagging, arguments, there's many different ways you're putting pressure, trying to get your husband to do something different than he's doing or what you want him to do. It's not your place. Now, picture yourself. Put yourself now as the bride of Christ. Is this the way I would relate to my husband, the Lord Jesus? Well, of course not. Well, this is a picture of that. See, the better you can understand that, now it helps us down here in this relationship, doesn't it? Reverence your husband. When he's right. No. Reverence your husband. Now, you don't obey him when he's a contrary to the word, but you reverence him. You give him respect. Children, honor your parents when they're correct. Well, who decides that? In the children's eyes, well, they're not right. They're not. No. Honor your parents. Obey your parents. Again, it says, as unto the Lord. So this whole thing, Brother Ram talks about that time when... He had just come from the Pentecostal people there up in Mishawaka. And he was so excited. He had all these invitations to go out. 
And he was going to go on the mission field, and, and Hope was going to go with him. So they went to tell Hope's mom, and she was not impressed. She says, never indeed will I ever permit my daughter to go like that. And if she does go, her mother will go to a grave brokenhearted. Hope says, Mama, do you mean that? She said, that's just what I mean. That settled it. Hope started crying. I can understand that. I can uh, totally relate to that. I put my arm around her and walked away. I said, but Mrs. Brumbach, she's my wife. She said, but she's my daughter. I said, yes, ma'am. I walked away, went down. She looked at me, hoped it. She said, Bill, that's my mother, but I will go with you. Looks to me like everything's just fine. See, I said, God bless her heart. She said, I'll go with you. I said, honey, I guess I'm carrying water on both shoulders. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And he made the wrong choice, and he paid the price. That's why God took hope from him and his daughter Sharon Rose, because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So now let's take up that story. We come to Hope's deathbed. Brother Bram talking with her, dying in the hospital. Her eyes just opened up. He called her back, and he says, she said, you know why I'm going, don't you, Bill? He says, and that's what hurt. He said, I believe so, honey. She said, I hope I didn't influence you when I was crying that day. Wow. That's sensitive. I wouldn't have thought for a minute. But she was concerned that her crying might have influenced Brother Bram to make That hit home to me. That's how sensitive she was. Now, she'd gone and already seen paradise and been called back and, and whatever else, but said, I hope I didn't influence you when I was crying that day when her mother said that those people were backwash. I said, no. But I thought, wow, we need to be that kind of sensitive. That story has always stayed with me. I hope it'll stay with you. One more thing here. In 1 Peter 3, and I like to call this the sister's promise from God. Verse 1, 1 Peter 3. Likewise, ye wives. Now that likewise, it's kind of like therefores. My dad was an English teacher as well as a preacher, and I remember him saying, so when you see that word therefore, he's going to ask your question, what's it there for? Okay, I can remember that. That makes sense. If I say, Brother Ed, I am really, really, really hungry. Therefore, after service, let's... Okay, so what I'm saying after the therefore was because of what I'd said before that. It's a continuation. It's, it's this led to that. So here it says, and so likewise, it's made point A... He's made point B, and he says, likewise this, and he makes that, and likewise that. It's another point in the same series of similar points, likewise, in the same manner. So here it starts out with verse 1 of 1 Peter 3, likewise. There's some things up in chapter 2 you need to go and read. He talks about servants being in submission to their masters. He talks about us being in submission to the authorities above us. He says, and likewise, ye wives. See, he's talking about relationship and to being under authority in all these different aspects of our life. You need to go read that. I'm not 
got time here. But he says, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, we're talking unbelieving husbands, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And once again, our English language doesn't do that justice. Without a word, but by the conversation of the wives? Isn't a conversation a whole bunch of words? The word conversation means your testimony, your life, your conduct. Without a word, your conduct. Without teaching, without nagging, without pressuring, your conduct. So he says that if any obey not the word, they also without the word may be one by the conversation of the wives, her conduct. While they behold your chaste conversation, your chaste conduct, coupled with fear, that godly reverence and fear that you have for your husband and for the Lord. They see that in you. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. The adorning says even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And I'll say this. The value of something goes up dramatically depending on how scarce it is. I think that in this last day, a sister with that meek and quiet spirit is much rarer than it was 100 years or 500 years ago. And so it's of much greater value than it ever was. And you have an opportunity to be of that kind of value to your Lord and to your husband. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God. He's going to talk about how they related to the husband, but these women trusted in God. That's why they did this to their husbands. Adorn themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So that ornament of great price to the Lord is a meek and quiet spirit. That goes right along with being in submission. Not usurping authority, not by a bunch of words and this, no, just a meek and quiet spirit. Remember that story Brother M tells about that man that was drinking with his friend and, oh, there's no such things as Christian. Oh, yes, there is. I'll take you home. I'll, I'll see you on. And they went there and pretended to be more drunk than they were. You know the story. They threw those eggs. I don't walk in this way. And she started crying just to herself. She went back to the Lord, you know, that must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? And they're over there. They're looking in the door. And he says, now that's a real Christian. She didn't get upset. She wasn't muttering and criticizing them. She just, I'll, I'll make you some more. I'll, I'll. Now that's a meek and quiet spirit. No one can do that unless they've got the real spirit of Christ on them to do that. She had it. What an example that was for us. But just to kind of finish this out, in Power of Transformation, he says, a meek and humble spirit is a great treasure to God. And Bible said for our women to adorn themselves with a meek and humble spirit, subject to your husbands in sweetness. That's what a great price in the sight of God. Thirst, he says, adorning themselves in modest apparel with a Christ-like spirit, meek, subject to their husbands, and so forth. That's the way you should be adorned, your life you live. I'm just going to jump ahead here. He uses the example of Esther. Remember, 
Here you had the queen would not submit to her husband. So he did away with her. Vashti, fine, you're out of it. I'll get me a new wife. And so it went out through all the land, and the, 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 the maidens from the whole land came in, vying for the spot to be the next queen of Persia. And here's this little Jewish girl, Esther. You know why she won? It wasn't because she was all dressed in fancy ornaments and clothes and perfumes, because she had that quiet, meek spirit. She stood out amongst all these others. She didn't come in there vaunting and prancing. and No, she just came in there just that sweet. That's what he was looking for. And that's what our bridegroom's looking for. That's of great price to him. That's what he's looking for. He made himself a servant when he came. Let the mind that was in Christ be in you. The bride will be flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, spirit of his spirit. What he was, she will be. Musicians want to come. I'm just going to close with one more quote here. I like this one just to kind of wrap things up. And once again, I hope that I haven't been so long that it worn you out. I know a person can only soak in so much, but I also realize that teaching is planting seeds. And my prayer is that these seeds... You keep watering, you get into the scriptures, you listen to those tapes, and you get in there and search the scriptures yourself. I hope that I've triggered an interest, a desire to learn more, to get closer to God. But then something that maybe you've heard in these last few days will all of a sudden spark in you. Say, oh, yes, there it is. You might be listening to a tape, you might be reading your Bible, and it's Oh, yes, I mean, that seed that laid there, it was time for it to come forth. That's my desire, praying that that's what will be your testimony, will be in your life. But Brother Bam says this, it's a message, knoweth it not. He says, a woman got, ain't got any business in politics. Where are we at? She's got no business over any authority in the church. Her place is a man's queen at home. And brothers, we better put her as queen. We're talking to the woman here, but we've talked to you men, and I'll tell you what, I've, 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 I've run into too many selfish men that are making their wives doormats. We'll answer for that. You want a queen? Then treat her like a queen. Her place is a man's queen at home. Outside of that, she has nothing. We know that to be the truth. I know that sounds old-fashioned, he says, but I'm responsible. And I know that after my going away from this earth, them tapes and them books will be living on. And many of you young children, this was 65, I was six years old, will find in the days to come that this is exactly the truth because I speak it in the name of the Lord. Isn't that astounding, amazing? Let's sing that song, So Glad I'm Yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. I'm glad he's my head. I'm glad he's my ruler. I'm glad that I can be in submission to him. I'm glad that he can take control of my life. So glad I'm yours, Lord. And then there's a second verse that goes that. I hope that you have that one. So glad I'm free, Lord. Do we know that one too? Well, you'll learn it tonight then. Okay, good. 
so glad yours, so So glad I'm free. So glad I'm free, Lord. So glad I'm free. So glad your grace has laid hold on me. thought when we are truly his in submission to him where he's our lord he's in control of our life there's a freedom that comes with that that is found no other place the world looks like that and says oh how can my goodness you're under such such captivity you're under such bondage that you can't do anything you get just you can't do this you can't do this no i'm free remember that promised land was what? Was the land of rest. What's the promised land represented by? The Holy Ghost. And when you've got the Holy Ghost, what's the evidence of the Holy Ghost? That spirit in you says amen to every word. There's a peace that goes with it. I wonder if this is right. No, God's word says amen. You rest on that. There's a peace that goes with it. The world doesn't understand that. I'm so glad I'm his, Lord, because his, that, I'm, that the Lord is my head. Not just my Savior, but my Lord. He's in charge of my life. What he says, by God's grace, that's what I'll do. I trust him. He knows best. best, And there's a freedom that I have with that. And that's the way it should be in the homes. Where you have the wife and the husband properly in their places. In that three-way relationship with God. A covenant with him. Everything in their proper place. There's a freedom. There's a peace. There's a, a clarity. There's a purpose. Everything, just, just everything is in focus. We want to strive for that. We want to ask God, seek with all that's in us that, that might, his will might be found in our lives. Let's just bow for prayer as we close here. Heavenly Father, once again, I want to commit your words for we were reading your words, spoken by the prophets from the Bible, by the prophet of our day. They're one and the same. We just know that in this age you've sent us a prophet to, to restore our hearts, to restore the mysteries, 
things that, that we, we couldn't see unless that ministry had come to open our eyes to see it. But we thank you for that. And the way that it makes so clear the relationship that you desire to have with us and that pattern that you've given us here on this earth of a home, of a marriage, of a family. I pray, Lord, that we will see our positions more clearly and that we will, by your grace, find ourselves in those positions and serve you as we operate and let you work through us in what you've called us to be. I pray that for each one here, Lord, and I ask that for my life as well, Father. I believe there's just so much more we can draw closer to you than we've ever been. We can be more pleasing to you in all that we do than we've ever been. We can have more of your power working through us than we've ever had before. If we can just humble ourselves and submit more completely. So I commit these words because we know, as we've said before, as your word declares, your word cannot and will not return to you void. It will accomplish that which is purposed. I believe I've been speaking to a portion of your bride that you have called, you've purchased, you've claimed, and predestinated to the adoption as sons of God. So I pray that, Lord, you would work in them what you have desired. Thank you for this time, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. We just ask your blessings now on each one and on your word. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing it as we close the service here. So glad I'm yours. So glad I'm yours, Lord. So Fine.